talk about that some more in a minute. I had loads of things lined up to say about how encouraging things have been lately, but I think I'm probably the most encouraged by just seeing how God moved among you this morning. It's actually a little bit emotional, really, to think about it. As we look at the king on earth, we, as James said, just see a, a dim version of, not dim in, in a negative way, holistically, but dim in terms of light and shining light. We won't even be able to look at God right now. If, we, if he was here, we would just fall down dead and actually in heaven because of what he's done on the cross and because he's risen from the dead. We're going to be able to do that, which is pretty amazing. So I had loads of things lined up to say that were encouraging, but I'm going to save them for another day. Um, we're going to crack into our new series, Transformed Living. And if you are new among us today, then welcome. It's great to have you. If you've only come a couple of times, we're delighted you're in the house. And uh, we love being family here. We've got all our children in with us, you will have noticed. And uh, we, we're passionate about encouraging them towards Jesus and letting them have the word of God spoken over them. And today is really not that complicated. We're really going to focus on just the one verse, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, it's been a weekend, hasn't it, of pageantry, parades, parties. Who's going to a party later this afternoon? Yeah? Great. Enjoy yourselves. And it's been all about King Charles III, and we have prayed for him today, and I think that's significant. I think that's important. But for a few moments, I just want to glance at his predecessor. I want to glance at his, his mum, the Queen Elizabeth II, uh, with you. And uh, that's not to take any light off him, uh, but it is actually to just focus for a moment on, on the example that has been set uh, by this great woman. She was the longest reigning British monarch uh, and the longest reigning female head of state in world history. And she lived and reigned over a hugely changing nation and a hugely changing world over all those years. And within her uh, public life, uh, we might have seen her on TV or in the newspapers, but in her personal life, she experienced tragedy and loss and grief and pain, just like every other human being on the planet. And yet, she in main, maintained her integrity and performed her duties throughout that time with huge stability and admirable kind of poise, I would say. And during her time reigning, she had 12 different prime ministers who came into the room in the office and spoke to her. And she went through all of those and succeeded them all. But I want to ask you the question, what was the source of her steadfastness, do you think? Well, I'd say a couple of things stand out to us today. The first was her strong sense of calling to be queen. She was called to a position. She was very aware of her high privilege and high calling to reign. And she sought to be faithful to that call. And secondly, her calling to be a follower of Jesus, her calling to be a Christian, her clear and deep personal faith over the years, if you've ever read or seen any of the, particularly the Christmas messages, you will have sensed that, I'm sure. And that was her example. That's quite a big deal, isn't it? Quite a big thing for Charles to look at and go, wow. And he was there the whole way through. He saw how it was done. He modeled it. He modeled what it was like to live up to the calling. He mo he's, sorry, he saw a model of what it was like to live up to the calling. And he saw this example before him for all those years. Now, not all of us are born into royalty like he was, but according to Paul's remarkable letter, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, he is in effect saying that those who are Christians 
are, in fact, called to live like royalty. We may not be born into a human royal family, but when we're born again in Christ, we become members of this of heaven's royal family. You become a royal son, or you become a royal daughter in Christ under your heavenly Father, joint heirs seated with Christ, the King, the King who is Lord of all the universe. And what a huge privilege that is. But with that privilege of being born into this heavenly royal family comes a great responsibility, a sense of responsibility as well. And it's summarized in this one verse, um, which essentially starts off the second half of the book of Ephesians. It says this, and it's Paul the Apostle writing. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I'll say it again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And this verse acts as a reminder of everything that's been said in, verse, in chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. And it's pivotal because it changes the direction of the whole letter to the Ephesians. And there's two things that come out of this that start us off on this transformational journey um, into living like royalty. And the first one is this, that we are to remember that, we, that in Christ you are royalty. And it's a huge statement, and it goes to the heart of everything it means to be a Christian. And last time, when we did Transform Living uh, this time last year, uh, sorry, Transform Life this time last year, you may remember that there were three questions and three statements that came out that define the Christian. The first one is all about their identity. The second one is belonging, and the third one is purpose. And it was interesting, Ricky, at the end of that testimony you said there, like focusing on our purpose and how we do have a purpose in this life. If you're born again, you have a great purpose to glorify God with your life and enjoy him forever. But the other two back up that purpose. The first is the identity um, uh, that we hold in Christ. And if nothing, if nothing else is obvious in this world, if you go on social media, it's clear that many, many people are looking for their identity. They're trying to identify themselves. Who am I? What am I here for? And it's not really a new problem, is it? In a sense, a lot of us uh, might have experienced um, going on networking situations, or you might be in school, or you might be uh, just meeting someone new on the train or something. And what's like the second or third question that you ask, or they ask you. They say, what do you do? Immediately, they want to know what you do, because in some respects, we've allowed uh, our identity to get wrapped around what we do. It happens a lot to me when I meet people, and they say, what do you do? And I tell them, I'm a, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, I, um, I help lead a team that leads a church. I, yeah, they immediately have an understanding. They think they know who I am. <laughs> And it's quite funny, actually, quite a lot of the time. People think they know who you are just because of what you do. Oh, you're a lawyer. Oh, oh, you're a dentist. You must have a nice car. Um, you know, things like that. We jump to conclusions. We jump to assumptions. I won't go on because I'm going to offend somebody. I don't, I don't think we've got any lawyers or dentists among us. So I think I'm all right. Sorry, Philip Mills, if you're on the, <laughs> on the recording. But um, that's what's happened in this world. We, we, we can wrap who we are around what we do, and that's not right. That's not the Christian's identity. We're not defined by what we do. So that's one thing. The second thing is belonging that backs up the purpose. And 
more and more people, again, it's evident on social media and in the real world, um, are looking for belonging. Who's, uh, who's part of a WhatsApp group here? Yeah, you're part of something. You belong to a group. Well, that's just a micro-scale version of what actually everyone in their heart is looking to do. They want to belong. They want to be part of a team, a family, a group. And what's really sad is that the campaign to loneliness.org have this particular stat, just about one location, uh, London, just north of here. Um, they, they brought this stat out recently. They said Londoners are more likely than any other in the UK to be affected by severe forms of loneliness. It says 700,000 of them feel lonely most or all of the time. Now, the likelihood is that the pandemic has exacerbated this problem, of course, but it doesn't drive away the reality that everybody is looking for their identity, everybody's looking to belong, and everybody's looking ultimately for a purpose in life. And those purposes, people search high and low. They go after career, they go after uh, prestige, maybe they go after wealth. But actually, all of those things, as we know, uh, are not undergirded by Christ and therefore are temporal. I think James said it earlier on, it's temporal, all those things, whereas Christ is eternal. And in Ephesians uh, 1.11, in the message version, it's put like this. It sums up, essentially, um, what, being a Christian, what being in Christ actually means. It says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's only in him that we find those things out. And so it's a massively important concept. And when you get it, everything else begins to sort of change. When you're born again, everything changes. Um, uh, and I was just reminded of that this week. Uh, Lewis... Do you mind if I just reference your video? So Lewis has uh, told his story here live before and at his baptism. Well, there's now a video which we're going to send out to you. We're not going to watch it today, um, but recounting that story. And when he was born again, everything changed. His whole outlook on life completely changed. And it, it's just another excellent and wonderful and God-glorifying example of how God transforms life. So quick illustration for you. Um, if I've still got him in here somewhere, I have. When we are not in Christ, where are we? Outside. That's right. So imagine that this... Oh, someone's dangling out the bottom. Hang on. <laughs> Just put them back in. In you go. Imagine that this Bible is, is Christ. That's Jesus. Actually, this is you. All right? And when you're in the world, you're born and you go through life and school might be a bit tough and maybe someone rubs you up the wrong way. Maybe someone bullies you. Maybe then you get into older life and works hard or a relationship breaks down. And generally what happens in life is you kind of start to be damaged and a bit torn up and hurt and bruised. And you go through these painful times where you're not sure who you are, you're not sure where you belong, and you're not sure why you're even here. Like you're just a crumpled piece of paper. Why are you here? But actually... When you're born again, like Lewis was, something phenomenal happens. Something amazing happens. You see, this figure here really represents the bad news, doesn't he? We're in sin. We're, in, we're outside of Christ. We're a slave to sin and cut off from God. But then, because, well, who wants some good news? Let's just put it that way. Yeah, okay. Well, that was the bad news. Let's have some good news. Well, the good news is God, our Heavenly Father, he had a plan. This is very good news. He had a plan from eternity, again, not a temporal plan, but an eternal plan to bring you into Christ. He sent his own son to come and live a perfect life. He sent his own son to die on the cross, to forgive our sins, to take our place, 
and then he rose to life three days later, as we know, and he's now seated high above all authority in the highest place in the universe. He is Jesus, Lord, and King. Amen. That's it. Let's get enthusiastic about that. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's amazing that he would do that. You see, he takes people like this, and he puts them in Christ, somewhat flatter than they were before. But he puts them in Christ. It's totally changed the outlook. And so in need of rescue were we, and so in need of forgiveness, that he came to completely transform us, and he's united us with Christ. And the thing about this is, we often forget the reality. We often forget that this is what has happened. And I'm not suggesting that you have to get a little paper person and do this every morning when you wake up. But it might help uh, just to have a little person in there. But I just want to remind you, because we so forget. I remember once we were here, I think um, a chap called Eddie once said, we have a forgetful gene. Like We just forget stuff. And we forget stuff like this. I'm just going to read you some things that are true about you uh, and me if you are in Christ. They're from Ephesians 1 to 2, but you could say that you could search the whole New Testament and find things like this. And um, if you want to, you can join me in saying it. In fact, let's all just say them together. Ready? Let's give it a go. Here we go. Ready? In Christ, I have a new identity. In Christ, I have grace and peace. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I have been chosen and planned for. In Christ, I am God's child. In Christ, I am highly favored. In Christ, I am redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, I have a great hope. In Christ, I am sealed with the Spirit. In Christ, I am greatly loved. In Christ, I have come alive. In Christ, I am seated in heavenly places. In Christ, I am God's workmanship. And in Christ, I am a new creation. Can you get excited about that? Yes, yes you can. It's amazing, but it's, even that is not the full picture. We live in a world that does focus on the individual, but God is actually more about the us than just the I. And you see, his plan was not just to send his son, Jesus, but his plan was to have many sons and daughters in Christ. And we talk a lot about family around here, and, uh, and I just want to remind you of this as well, that God has brought you into our church family. If you're here today, we're delighted you are. And if you're looking in, we're delighted you're looking in. But we are a church family. We are called into God's household, into God's building. Where he's, he's building our temple. You're actually bricks in parts of the temple, which is wonderful. And we're a multicultural, multi-generational family. And it isn't so much that he chose me. It's actually more that in Christ, there is an us. <laughs> and so, in Christ, sorry, uh, Sophie kindly did this for me. I didn't have the skill. <laughs> I messed it up the first couple of times. But in Christ, we are all in together. And that's the truth. That's the full story. We're one new man in Christ, one new family, one church. And uh, we're partnering with God in his ruling and reigning over, uh, over the earth. And the Holy Spirit calls us to remember who we are. If you've ever seen The Lion King, you might remember that bit where it's quite intense. And uh, Simba's running after Rafiki and he gets to this pool and then... His dad, who passed away, goes, remember, Simba, who you are. And then he's going into the distance. He goes, remember who you are. Remember. But I just want you to picture that. 
all go home and watch The Lion King. Uh, if, you just want, if you think I've partied too much, I just want to chill. Watch The Lion King, and then you're saying, I'm edifying myself. But we don't actually, we don't subscribe to the entire theology of The Lion King. Just disclaimer. We're into transformed life, not the circle of life. Just to let you know. Okay. So, there you go. Remember who you are in Christ, that you're beloved children of your heavenly Father, and that you are now royalty. That's the foundation. That's Ephesians 1 to 3 in a nutshell. The second half is 4 to 6. And this is what we're going to step into now. We're going to live worthy of that high calling that we've been called to in Christ. And again, I'm going to read that verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. I'm going to use a different translation. Say, ooh. ooh. I'm going for the English standard version. Um, You know, the connoisseur's choice. Uh, Because it says, (laughs) only joking. <laughs> they're good, they're good. NIV, ESV, very good uh, translations. But it says this in the ESV, and the reason I've chosen it is because they use the word therefore. Because whenever you see in the text, therefore, you want to know what it's there for. And the reason is, Paul is making a point. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the word therefore is in effect saying, in light of who you are, according to Ephesians 1 to 3, now go on and live out that identity, that belonging to a family, that purpose in Christ. Go on, live in a manner fitting of to what you've been called. And, and there's a difference here that's really, really crucial. If you're ever talking to someone else about religion and, and, and they say, hey, I'm not religious, well, you can say, well, there's a difference here because religion in this context would say to us, be better, try harder, do more works. But actually, true Christianity, true faith in Jesus says, look what God has done for you. Look who he's made you to be. Then, now, therefore, in light of that, go on by the power of the Spirit and live up to all he's called you. And I mentioned this at the family meeting the other night. I really think God calls us into things we never think we'll do. (laughs) I really do believe that in a lot of ways, that he, he calls us out into a transformed life. And the queen was a great example of this. She was someone who, who got this. She lived it out in service to God and service to others. And if you look at history, being royal isn't always a guarantee, is it, that you're going to be great? Um, being loyal doesn't mean, so being royal doesn't mean you're going to live worthily of a high calling because if you know history, not all monarchs uh, lived up to that same standard. Not all of them had outstanding reputations. Some of them were quite bad. And it's not a guarantee also that because someone becomes a Christian that they'll live in a manner befitting of that high calling. And that's why Paul spends the next three chapters giving urgent, important, and practical instructions on how to live out that life. And we're going to delve into this in the coming weeks. And um, if you, um, sorry, you see, and if you you begin living a transformed life, if if it all happened immediately after you got born again, if it was like that, we wouldn't need Ephesians 4 to 6. Paul could have just stopped at the end of 1 to 3. But it's not automatic. Living a trans life is actually quite hard sometimes. And Paul knows this, and so he brings this practical teaching from the Father. He talks about purity and work and home and wisdom and so on. And just to clarify, it's not a list of rules, like a school teacher saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. But it's, it's guidelines from a loving Father who loves us and wants to encourage us, and he's ultimately completely good, and he looks at his sons and daughters and says, come on, you can do it. He's not saying to us, you must do better. No, he's saying, 
You can do better than that. I know you can. I believe you can do it. I ha- and I have this experience sometimes when we're eating broccoli. All right? Broccoli, real deal in my house. Uh, high in vitamins, very good for you. Broccoli's on the plate. If I go, you must do better. You must eat that. Well, doesn't really prove fruitful at all. But this last few days, I've gone, I know you can do it. You can do it. You can eat that. And blow me down if you didn't just go <laughs> and eat it. I don't know, what it, I don't know how, if that was going to work every time. Honestly, I don't. But it's just the heart behind it. I'm not a school teacher. I'm not, bang it. I'm trying to say, come on. I love you. You can do it. And it's going to take effort. And sometimes it's going to mean doing things you don't really want to do. But you do it. And he did it. Well done. I won't tell you which one it was. Anyway, Paul's writing. It's got a weightiness to it. It's got an urgency to it. And so he's writing to these Ephesians. And they live in a particular context, just like you and me. They live in a context um, uh, which um, essentially shapes how they are. The culture shapes a lot of things, doesn't it? It shapes us a lot of the time as well. And we have to be careful about that. But he's speaking to many Christians in Ephesus who've who've lived in an anti-God culture, who have been called out of the occult, called out of idolatry, and now he's, he's saying to them in Ephesians 1 to 3, come on, guys, you're free. You're alive in Christ. Great. And then at 4 to 6, he's saying, but don't lose focus. Don't take your foot off the gas. Don't get casual. Don't get complacent. You've got to make a decision now and choose to live differently, even if it hurts, even if it's difficult. It's a choice to be made, and it's a high calling. There's a weightiness to it. There's an urgency to it. And it's impressed upon us in that one verse. And, and what comes through in that verse is just a few things um, here, four things to say, really, and then we're going to wrap up in a moment. But the first thing is that I want us to notice that Paul speaks with authority. He is an apostle. He describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord. And he's kind of doing a double entendre. He's kind of doing two things at once. Because he's physically writing to the Ephesians from prison. So he's actually in prison at the time. But he's actually saying, now I'm in Christ. I treat myself like a captive to Christ, a captive to the Lord. I will do whatever he says. And we've talked about this a lot in our Everyday Supernatural series, just finished. Um, We talked about being obedient, and that's what he's really focusing on. He's actually choosing to be a captive to Christ, not in a bad way, but in a good way out of loving loyalty. And if you know the story of Paul, uh, who used to be Saul, you'll know know the fact that he is a completely transformed character. He went from a church-bashing Christian persecuting, murdering uh, Jewish scholar, essentially, to a Christ-loving servant who is so tough and tender in different places throughout the rest of the New Testament. He is the example of someone completely transformed. He made the choice, and yet he still chooses to be this double prisoner, actually in prison for preaching the gospel, and actually a prisoner to Christ in a good way because he wants to serve him. The second thing he says is, uh, is the word Lord. And I want you to see how he refers to Jesus in this way, because in the first half of uh, Ephesians 1 to 3, he, he calls Jesus Lord six times. Um, and actually, the rest of the time in those chapters, he's called him Christ, Messiah, Savior, etc. And he's been emphasizing Christ's identity as Savior in the first half. And then in the second half, he emphasizes his identity as Lord. And 20 times in chapters 4 to 6, Paul's saying, He's our Lord. He's our Lord and Savior. And he's recognizing that he is sovereign, that he is God, 
that he has rightful authority over every area of our lives. And we say it uh, on Alpha and just looking, when, when introducing people to Christ, we say to them, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't take certain areas of your life and not subject them to Christ. That's not how it works. He's got to be Lord of every area. Third thing, uh, a phrase, I urge you. He, he, he emphasizes the urge you. I'm not going to spend very long because I think you get it. He goes, I urge you. He doesn't go, I urge you. He goes, I urge you to do this. He wants you to do it. You might have heard the phrase, let go and let God. Well, I think Paul would have gone, what? No. I urge you to live up to the calling. Live worthy. Live royal. Live as you've been called. He urges us to do that. And the fourth thing uh, is walk. Walks take a long time, <laughs> particularly if you have little children, but they take a long time anyway. And the point being, well, if you make them, but the, the idea here is that he's saying, look, walk in this manner. Let this truth sink into you and affect every area of your life as you walk. And he paints this picture of what it looks like to walk the walk of, of those who are united, mature, pure, in harmony with others, and victorious over sin and death. So, no more let go and let God. It's him urging us to live out the calling to which we've been called. And in this series, we're going to do seven talks on this, and it's a little bit fragmented, to be honest. Um, we've got some wonderful things. We've got New Ground Sunday, we've got baptisms, um, we've got Off of Manor, which is this, it's going to make this series not seven consecutive weeks. Uh, it's going to be a little bit fragmented, but even in this time, as we do the 50-day devotional, which I'll mention in a moment, I just want to ask you to dig in to the truth uh, and get the, let the truth get a grip on you as well. And we've got one last illustration uh, to do it. Um, Alice, are you, are you available? Could you come and help me? Yeah, great. So we're going to use five things to teach everybody about transformed living, okay? So the first thing we need is your pointy finger. Can you do that and just point at everyone intimidatingly? Thank you, yeah. So the first thing we're going to do is teach on Sundays about it. There's going to be seven talks on this. We've got some different speakers. Uh, we've got some, some faces you might not have heard or seen speak before, which will be really exciting. They'll introduce themselves. They'll let you know who they are. Don't panic. We've asked them to speak. It's all good. That's the first thing we're going to do. Next thing, Alice, I need your middle finger, please. Just keep it the correct way around. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> that could have gone horribly, horribly wrong, but it didn't. The de devotional, fantastic. Um, you, with your other hand, could you hold that? Is that right? Oh, you haven't got enough hands. There you go. Transform Living, 50 days of devotional teaching. We're trying to do an audio version as well as a written one. Delve into that, get stuck in, uh, and spend 10, 15 minutes a day. Uh, you can have one. Can I hold it up? Is that all right? You can get one of these for free at the back where Rachel is. No need to contribute if you can't or don't want to. This is yours to take and keep. So even if you're a visitor today and you think, oh, that looks good, please take one. We've got loads of them back there. Uh, we want everyone to get into this. 50 days starting tomorrow. So day one is tomorrow, Monday. Okay, thank you. Uh, next finger is, is this finger, the ring finger. Yeah, in fact, I'll hold that so you can concentrate. Yeah, ring finger. This is a relational finger. We want people to get into, uh, essentially into little groups. If, you, if you're in a life group, great. But if you're not, maybe get into a group or a couple of other people with you and just study this together. That could be a great thing to do. We learn well in community, and if you're new to us, um, that might be something you'd like to do. Come and speak to us if you want a two or a three, just to bounce things off, just to have a conversation about. That's fine. And lastly, memory verses. 
Uh, why does that always get the least enthusiasm? <laughs> Memory verses, yes. That's this finger because it gives us balance. It holds us in the right place. Can you hold that finger up? It's all right. A uh, little finger, little finger. Let's do this one. That. Perfect, yeah. And uh, thank you, Alice. You may sit down. Thank you so much. Well done. Um, Little finger holds us in balance. Weekly memory verses. You can learn a memory verse. Do not doubt yourself. Do not, do not even let doubt creep into your mind because if I put it to the tune of Old MacDonald, you will learn it. <laughs> if I put it to the tune of Wheels on the Bus, you will learn it. If you want me to do that for you, let me know. Okay? In fact, maybe I will. I don't know. I'm not going to commit myself to that. But music and verses go together. We're learning them in our family. It's, it goes really, really well. So life, uh, last thing, life application is the thumb. It holds all the others together. That's the point of that. And we're just going to finish here because um, time has run away with us, but it's been great to be together. We're going to aim to live worthy as royalty, as we're called to be in Christ. And just imagine if we all do this, well, we'll just fill the whole morning with testimonies for weeks and weeks, won't we? Because people will see the transformation in the way we live, and they will be affected by it. So let me just give you faith for that. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hand back to Dale, if that's all right. Um, <laughs> he's looking confused. <laughs> and we'll go from there. But Lord, we do thank you for, for this wonderful truth that we are in Christ if we're born again, Lord. And if for anyone here who's not in Christ already, or they're not sure if they are, Lord, would you speak to them? Would you show them? Would you lead them to yourself? Lead them back in. Lord, to you, we, get, we pray again and again until they cross that line of faith. We, we really want to see new salvation. We want to see people born again, baptized, added, knitted in to this church family so that people would know they belong. And I pray as we step into transformed living, you just embolden us in our purpose, uh, Lord, in this life to give you glory across every area, but to enjoy you at the same time, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks.